0: Hey, thanks for joining me on Ask Pastor Steve, and today I'm gonna to try and respond to questions from five listeners, we'll see if time allows. Here's question number one. Do you have any suggestions for books on how Christians should respond to the LGBTQ plus movement and on how to hold fast to the teaching of God's word, especially as a young adult who is surrounded by these worldly ideas? A young lady in the church, leave her name out, uh, wrote this. So yes, I'm happy to tell you, I like I have just the book you're asking for. Let's see, when did I read this? I read this last year in uh, September of 2023. It is titled Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, and the author is Rosaria Butterfield. You can actually find her lots on YouTube right now, lots of places where she's giving talks. She's on lots of people's uh, Um, podcasts right now. So let me read you what the five lies are and you'll get an idea of what her whole book is about. Let me tell you first more about her. So she was a lesbian, married, college professor who was very, very nationally involved in feminism, in the movement of feminism. And then some people led her to saving faith in Jesus Christ and her life was radically changed. And now she's married and is a pastor's wife. Isn't that interesting? So now she's trying to undo all the harm she did. Lie number one, homosexuality is normal. Lie number two, being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Lie number three, where'd lie number three go? There it is, feminism is good for the world and the church. Lie number four, transgenderism is normal. Lie number five, modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. There's the book for you. Hope you grab a copy and profit from it. Thanks for your question. Great question. Here's another one. This is, I'm allowed to say, this is from a six-year-old, a young man named Toby, and his mom is there with him on this. And Toby asked me two questions. Thank you, Toby, great questions. Here's number one. Toby cites Psalm 90 in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may incline our hearts to wisdom. Great Psalm for you when you're 60 years old. And he asked me the question, how? What does that mean? What does that look like, teach me to number my days? Toby, here's what that's saying. This is gonna be harder for you to get as a young man because when you're young, it looks like you're gonna live forever, but you're not. So when the Psalm says, teach us to number our days that we may incline our hearts to wisdom, it's talking about this. Consider how short your life really, really is. Like it seems when you're young, it seems that long. It's really about this long. What does James say in the New Testament? He says your life is like a vapor that appears for a very short time and then it goes away. So a vapor is like when you go out on a cold day and you breathe and there's a little cloud in front of you. That's a vapor and it's gone. That's your life. So teach us to number our days means Realize how short life is, so use your time wisely that we may incline our hearts to wisdom. Wisdom in how you use your time and how you spend your life. So, Toby, I want to give you an example. This is not the example you want to hear, probably. Um, Working on family chores is a very good use of your young man's time. I'm a big believer in the fact that anybody who lives in the home ought to, if they're able ought to contribute to the maintenance of the space they live in. We don't just hand you space and you get to live there free. No, you got to contribute to it. That would be a good thing if mom and dad give you chores and things you got to do to contribute to taking care of your home. That would be inclining your heart to wisdom. So, good, Toby. One of the most important things you can know about life is short is so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and spend your life with Christ. And don't presume, oh, I can do that later someday. There might not be a later. You might not live that long. I pray that you will, but you might not. So believe on the Lord Jesus now. Here's a second question Toby asks, and it's kind of related to the first one, I think. You'll like this. He's a six-year-old. Are video games bad? Great question, Toby. I love that. I love that I get to talk about it. Let me zoom out for a second. Video games are a form of Recreation, so let's ask the broader question, is recreation bad? The answer is no, not at all. There's a time in the Gospels where Jesus took his disciples on a vacation. It didn't work because the people followed them there and they wound up serving anyway. But recreation is good. We have to restore tired nature. We have to restore tired bodies and restore tired minds. And so for that we have recreation. Recreation is legit. There's nothing wrong about it. But now let's zoom in again. What about video games as a form of recreation? Well, I'm gonna give you my judgment on this. I think they're legit. I think it's appropriate that some guys spend some time playing video games. But I wanna say, but man, be careful. First, that there might be bad games you don't want anything to do with, but, but also that they are made to be highly addictive. And it's you know, don't you? It's really hard to turn the thing off. Like I can remember, we never had a TV in our family because we didn't want one until our kids got bigger and the world invented video games, which were ridiculously simple in those days, but we got them for our kids because everybody else had one. And here's what we heard over and over again. I can't stop now. I'm almost at the next level, right? We, we dealt with that all the time. I think playing a video game, an appropriate one, can be a legitimate form of recreation, but it's so addictive. It's so hard to stop. It's so hard to put limits on it, that you need mom and dad to put limits on it, and you need to respect the limits they put on it. That's where it needs to be. If you're a big guy, ask your wife to put limits on it and respect the limits she puts on it. All right? So I'm not going to say no to video games, but I'm going to say, be careful, man. You're playing with something that's It's like holding a hot potato, be careful. Thanks for those questions. I'm gonna go on to another listener. This is Toby D's mama. Hello mama, thanks for asking this question. And she asks, what about retirement and investment? Should Christians store up for old age or or should we just invest it all in the kingdom of God and trust the Lord to provide for us in old age? Good question. I'm gonna say, (laughs) it depends. It depends. Should you save up? So here's what it depends on. Whether or not you save up for old age depends on whether you want to have food to eat when you get old. It depends on whether you want to be able to put gas in your car and go see the grandchildren when you get old. You you get the idea. It depends on whether you want to pay your BGE bill when you get old. Yeah, you're probably going to need some money when you get old. You're probably not going to make the kind of money you're making now when you get old. You need to save up some money for when you get old, if you want to eat. Only if you want to eat. If you don't want to eat when you get old, don't worry about it. Kind of reminds me of an aunt of mine. She was a dental receptionist. And I asked her, in all honesty, I asked her one day, um, "Do, do I really need to floss all my teeth every day? And she said, oh, no. Just the ones you want to keep. (laughs) All right, so similar. Do I really need to save up for old age? Oh, no. Only an old age in which you want to eat. All right, so yeah. What does the Bible say about this? Lots of things. Here's one passage. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. What am I supposed to notice about the ant? You're standing out in your back patio. You're looking at the ants. They're going back and forth, carrying food, carrying food, long line of them, carrying food. Where are they going with the food? What are they doing? They're storing it up. What am I supposed to notice? The ant has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. There's no big ant standing there with a whip. Keep going, guys. No. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. What am I supposed to learn from the ant? Save. John Wesley had a famous sermon, and it had three points in it. I hope I have them right. It's make a lot, save a lot, and give a lot. Nice little sermon. So thank you for that question. Yes, you ought to lay up for old age unless you want to make your kids provide for you, which they might wind up doing anyway. All right, I'm gonna move on. Uh here's another listener and I'm allowed to mention her name. She's part of Cornerstone. Her name is Brandy. I think we only have one Brandy in our church so we all know who that is. Brandy D. And she's been interacting, I think, with some Jehovah's Witnesses. And she asked me this question. Great question, Brandy. Can a person be legitimately saved, believing and trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus for your sin, but reject the concept of the Trinity? Can a person be saved and reject the Trinity? Great question. Easy answer. No. Now, let me clarify. You can be saved and not know about the Trinity. I was. The thief on the cross was. Like when I was saved, I I don't think I even heard about the Trinity. But as soon as I heard about it then, I believed it because it's in the Word of God and Holy Spirit's illuminating my understanding, illuminating my understanding. so you're saved and you don't know about the Trinity yet, but then you open your Bible and you start seeing Jesus as God in various places. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. God, the Father is God, but Jesus is God. What is this? And then you run into the Nicene confessions and you figure out Christians wrestled with this long ago and we have these great statements of faith and they all tell us about the Trinity and you will believe. And if you don't, 2 John 1, 9 through 11 talks about you. Here's what it says. Second John one, if there's only one chapter, but anyway, they they put it this way one nine through eleven. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, Christ is God, Christ is man, and Christ is God, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that's Jehovah's Witnesses, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. That doesn't mean you can't say, hello, can I come out and talk to you? You can do that. You can be civil and all that. You don't need to be mean with them. Don't be. But what is John saying? He's saying if you hear about the doctrine of Christ, he's fully God and fully man, and you reject that, you don't have the Father. So it would be impossible to be saved and reject biblical teaching on the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. You can be saved without knowing about it, but once you know about it, you'll believe it. Great question, Brandy. Thank you for that. Here's another one. It's anonymous. Do I have time, guys? I'm okay? How many minutes are we? We're at 11. Oh, okay, great. Here's another question. Great one. This one is anonymous. Uh, it's really two questions. One, can women read scripture in church services? And two, can women study and teach the Bible? Great questions. Let's take number one. Can women read scripture in church services? I'm saying this a lot in the various things we're recording today, but I'm going to say it again. It depends. It depends on what we're talking about here. So recently, the elders of our church, looked into that question. We wanted to decide, is it appropriate to have women read Scripture in our services? And we looked at the passages. Let me take you to the passages, the most relevant ones. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints, let the women be silent in the churches. So silent, sigao is the Greek verb there. Everybody agrees. No one believes otherwise. Everyone agrees that silent is not does not mean silent in every possible way. It's a limited silence according to the context of the chapter and what the chapter is talking about. For example, when we sing as believers gathered together on the Lord's day, are women allowed to sing? That's not silent. See, it doesn't mean a woman can't sing. If if the preacher is begging for an amen and he says, can I get an amen on that? Can the woman say amen? That's not silent. Yeah, a woman can say amen. So there, if a woman's child is being, you know, too noisy next to her, can she say, be quiet? Yeah, but that's not silent. So there are a lot of ways that a woman can talk in the assembly. Which which silence is the Apostle Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 14? Well, he's talking about the big things in the chapter are speaking in tongues, prophesying, and even to a much lesser degree, praying. But the big things there are speaking in tongues and prophesying, being the preacher, being the speaker. And he says that's off limits to a woman. But he doesn't put reading Scripture off limits. The other big dog passage would be 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul writes and says, I want the men to do the praying, and later he says, I want the men to do the teaching. I don't permit the women to do the teaching where adult males are present. But there's nothing about reading. He doesn't say, nor can they read the Bible out loud in the assembly. So we concluded that, yes, women can read Scripture in services— depending on what you mean by read Scripture, depending on how she's going to read Scripture. So there is a pastoral way that somebody might read Scripture. Let's say you have a thing that's like a very pastoral reading of Scripture. It's got a pastoral introduction to the reading of Scripture. It's got pastoral comments to the reading of Scripture. It's got a pastoral closing to the reading of Scripture. No, a woman shouldn't do that because that's involving the teaching ministry where adult males are present. But suppose it's just going to be the words are going to flash up on the screen and somebody's going to read them. And in this case, the woman with the microphone reads them and we're all following along. Or maybe we read aloud with her. There's another thing, by the way. If your church reads scripture aloud, can the women read scripture aloud? Sure they can. We want them to. Can a woman be the only person up there reading? All she does is read it and it's done. And then we sing the next song. We conclude, yes, there's nothing in scripture that forbids a woman not read scripture in that way in the assembly. So you might differ with me, but uh, we could have an interesting debate on that. Let's not part ways over it if we differ. Here's your second question, also a good question. Can women study and teach the Bible? Well, I give that a resounding yes. Absolutely so, I sure hope they will. Every reference in the Bible about studying the word, hiding the word in your heart, is given to men and women. So women are expected by God to study and learn and even teach the Bible. There's a specific verse that talks about women learning. It's 1 Timothy 2.11. Let a woman learn. He says, let a woman learn. And so the women ought to be doing some some learning in the assembly. And can they teach? Yes. Uh, Not where males are present in the assembly, but uh, Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos the way more accurately. Women could teach the Bible. We want women teaching the Bible to women. To men in private ways, like in a home or something, you're all sitting around talking, can a woman say, I think that passage means X, Y, Z? Sure she can. So yes, women can study and teach the Bible, but they're forbidden by God to be the preacher, the main teacher, in a gathered assembly on a Sunday. Thanks for these questions. Great. Been a good time with you today. Thanks for joining us. Hope to see you again soon.